Yes, they did let old Yeller come back to preach one more time. It's been a while, but it's good to be back with you this morning. Do you feel loved by God, church? You should, because you are. We all are. I, I want you to leave here today loving the gospel and wanting to share it more than when you entered into this building this morning. That's what I want to leave you with this morning. I want you to leave here saying, the gospel must go forth from my lips. So church, we're dealing with a difficult passage. We're continuing in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. We're starting in verse 12 and following. Um, it's a tough passage. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a difficult passage. But I think if we put it in context, church, it is not that difficult. But I haven't preached in a while, so you know I have a bit of a sense of humor. I hope you've picked that up over the years that I've been here. So I thought, how can I convey to the church that sometimes words have different meanings than they first appear? So I was on the internets. Yes, I have both of them at my house. I was on the internets, and I found this photo editor who people send pictures to, and he redoes the picture. Sometimes he'll take out images they don't want in there, background images. Sometimes he'll add stuff to make the picture look more exciting or great. And I thought, well, this is a great example of how somebody saying something can be misinterpreted by somebody else. And he obviously does this to be humorous. So let me show you what I'm talking about. So this young couple sent the photo editor this picture and said, hey, we're standing in front of Muhammad Ali's star on Walk of Fame. And my boyfriend is really a big boxing fan, loves boxing. Hey, could you touch up the photo to make my boyfriend look like a boxer, right? Pretty clear she wants that. So the photo editor sends this back. So, <laughs> so it says, absolutely, I'll send back a picture. Has he looked like a boxer enough for you? There you go. There we have it. So words can be misinterpreted. Normal people would stop there, but I got two more because I can't, I love these things. So, so there's this young lady in this garden scene, something like Longwood Gardens. And if you notice in the back, the gardener there is watering all the flowers and plants. And she sends this to the photo editor and says, hey, I'd like that cleaned up. Can you remove the image of the guy watering the plants in the background? Oh, sure, absolutely, gotcha, I'll do it. Well, <laughs> since the gardener's no longer watering the flowers, everything shriveled up and died. So um, here's your picture, honey, sweetie. I'm sorry, that's inappropriate. All right, last one. Wedding pictures. How many of you would like to clean up a wedding picture or two? So they're at this wedding. They have a tent. And boy, this pole is covering his lovely bride's right half of her body. And he sends this to the editor and says, can you take out the pole? The editor says, sure. <laughs> Took out the pole. And, and that's what happened there. So, so things can be misunderstood. Words can have several meanings when we hear them or see them. And I think that's the case as we get into Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and following, that Paul does not mean to express any doubt that your salvation can be earned. He doesn't want to express that thought, that your salvation can be earned. But let's go ahead here and read first, uh, Philippians chapter 2. We're starting in verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, 
so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with all of you too. I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Beautiful, beautiful passage that comes right off of the great kenosis passage, chapter 2, verses 1 and following, where Jesus Christ empties himself. Um, You're going to hear me talk about a lot of the passages that we've covered in the last several weeks, Philippians chapter 1 and the first half of Philippians chapter 2, because Paul is, is giving a pancake message. He's layering one truth upon another to make a point. That's why in Philippians chapter 2 verse 1, he says, therefore, because he's building upon what came before, you have to see what the therefore is there for. And in Philippians chapter 2 verse 12, he uses the same word, therefore, or so then. Again, he's building an argument, much like he does in the book of Romans. He starts by building an argument, layering one pancake on top of another. So we have to understand that when we approach a difficult passage. But we, when we approach this passage of fear and trembling, one thing we have to take off the table, church, is the idea that you can earn your salvation by works. That you can work for your salvation is not true and not what's being conveyed here. Paul does not say work for your salvation in fear and trembling. He says work it out. So there's a a distinction and there's a difference. And I want to first make sure that that is clear to all of us. I want to remind you what the gospel is. John, we've heard the gospel throughout our lives. We don't really need to hear the gospel again. Church, if we ever stop preaching the gospel at this church, you should stop coming. The gospel is why we're here. We are unified to preach the gospel. So if at some point in your life you're tired of hearing the gospel, question yourself. Don't question the presenter. Because there may be people in this body who are members of this church who have not yet grasped the truth of the gospel. We have people coming in from outside this church who I know do not believe the gospel. So bear with me as I refresh our minds and our memories on how people are saved. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16 that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. We are saved by the son of God, Jesus Christ. We are saved not by our works, but by his finished work on the cross and by his glorious resurrection. That is how we are saved. John goes on. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So you've heard it before, God the Father, he wanted to have a relationship with you and me. He wanted to have a familial relationship. He wanted us to be part of the family. God can be in the presence of sin. Satan presents himself to God and accuses the brethren. But Satan cannot have an intimate relationship, a familiar relationship, a family relationship with God. He can't because God will not welcome sin into his house to live with him. But that's the relationship he wants for us. So God said to the son, we have a problem. 
They can't dwell with us because they have sin, and no matter how good they are, they cannot be good enough to be as holy as you and I are, and the Holy Spirit is. They cannot dwell with us because we cannot have one ounce of sin in our family. He loved us so much, he wanted us to be part of his family, to dwell in his house. That's why he's preparing a place for you and I right now. So what do we do, son? Well, son, you go down, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, and following, and you go down and you die for them. You do the work. You live a perfect life. You get crucified on the cross and you get raised up again on the third day by me. And when I see you, your outstretched resurrected hands, I will forgive those who put their faith in your work on the cross. And they will be able to live with me in my house and your house forever. That's the concept here. God is solving a problem that you and I have. We wanna have a relationship with him that is pure, that is loving, that is familial, that is adoption as sons and daughters, but we can't do that unless our sin is washed away and we could never work hard enough. There's no work we could do to be as holy as God. But God being rich in mercy, we read in Ephesians chapter two, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, dead meaning we could do nothing to save ourselves. There was no work we could do to save ourselves. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him on, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Folks, the reason that you and I can dwell in heaven with God Almighty is because when he sees you and me, he sees us through the prism of Christ. We are in Christ. I don't know if you know the weight of those words, but when we were born again, we were placed in Christ. We have his holiness. We have his sanctifying power. We have his cleansing. We have his justification. So when God the Father looks at us, he sees us in Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful way that God has designed for us to dwell with him forever and ever. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. How could it be more clear here, church? Salvation is a gift that God has rendered to a dead people, to a dead people who could not earn their way to heaven. He said, wait a minute, I have a gift for you. And that gift is my son, this is what Paul says in Romans, the whole crucifixion, Jesus coming. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? Is it, it is excluded by what kind of law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified, church, by faith apart from works of the law. Amen. 
Amen. Let the little children cry out. So here's here it is, church. You see these crosses? You see those crosses? Yes? This is responsive today, church. All right, so here, here's, here's my object lesson. So Jesus Christ has been lifted up, and he draws all men to himself, right? And what does he say? If you want to be reconciled to the Father, look to the cross, and look what I have for you. Look what I have for you. If you look to the cross and accept me as a Savior, I want you to take one of these gifts. I want you to take one of these gifts. There's a gift under this tree for everybody, everybody, everybody. But you have to be willing to go through the cross to take the gift. But you gotta open the gift. Lots of wonderful things inside the gift. And this is for you to open. But I wanna make something clear, church. Does my opening the gift of Jesus Christ Give me any credit for earning my salvation? No. When I open the gift and I see a lovely pair of socks, which I will wear later in the day, <laughs> am I saying by opening this box, I have bought these gifts for myself? I have contributed one penny to buying these socks for myself? Absolutely not. What the little child who received this gift box and opened it is going to say, thank you, kind person. Thank you, gracious person, for sending me this, spending your money to bring me joy. That's the opening of a gift. There's no work involved, but there is an action needed. There is a bending of the knee to pick up the gift and open the box. You understand what I'm saying, church? It's not about a work. So working out your salvation has nothing to do with working for your salvation. Let's be absolutely clear about that. But let's move on then. What does it mean? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now we'll get to the point of what is his good pleasure. We'll get to that. But why with fear and trembling? Why do we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Well, he tells us here, because something awesome is working inside of you. Something incredibly powerful is engaged inside of you to make something work out of you. All right, so I gave this example earlier, and I know many of you in here are dealing with or have dealt with cancer. So if this causes you any sadness, please forgive me, but it's the best example I could come up with. Um, I've told you many times, my mother had pancreatic cancer, she's passed away since, but when she had pancreatic cancer and she found out her diagnosis, one of the treatments was chemotherapy. So my mother called me Johnny when she was on this earth. She said, Johnny, I'm, I'm afraid. Am I gonna lose my hair? I said, Mom, I gotta be honest with you, chemotherapy is powerful. You're gonna lose your hair, it's strong, it attacks everything, it is, it is a, a devastating force. Will I be tired? You're gonna be exhausted, Mom. Will I get sick occasionally? You might, because it's a power in you that is devastating and harmful to some degree. And she said to me, then why on earth would I want it? I said, because it's gonna give you life. Because it's gonna give you life, Mom. So it's nothing to trifle with, it's something powerful don't mess with it, but when you take it, know that it's doing its work to give you life. I give you that example of, and it's a bad example, it's a, 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 a hurt, it's a limping example 
of being fearful because it is a powerful God that works in us. It's the same God in us now who was a pillow of fire by night. Not now that pillar of fire is in you. It's the same God who when Uzzah tried to stabilize the ark from falling into the mud, God struck that kind man down because he could not touch the holiness of God's ark. It's the same God who wouldn't let people into the holy of holies in the temple unless the high priest went in with a rope tied around his ankle in case he went in in a sinful condition and had to be pulled out. That is the same God that has taken up residence in you. So let me give you a slightly better example to give you the joy side. God is not in us to hurt us, but he is awesomely powerful to bring us life. Um, so when we had our first child, Josh, you know, I was, I was in the delivery room there when the, the baby came out and the doctor looked at me and said, would you like to hold your baby boy? I looked at my Jimmy Deans and I said, oh, I don't know, doc. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to hurt the child. I'm a little fearful. I'm a little nervous here. Child looks so delicate and has all, I, I don't know. Hold the baby. I took the baby. Oh, it was a beautiful thing to hold. But have that reverence of, I don't want to drop this precious thing. I don't want to, I don't want to hurt this beautiful baby. That's the kind of awesomeness we have to deal with. What's going on inside us as God lives inside us, right? Now, when Zach came along, I said, I'll hold him at home. I'll have enough of that. I'll be changing diapers. I don't care anymore. It wasn't as awesome the second time, bud. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but, work out your salvation for it is God who is at work in you. And we need to respect that fact. But God is at work in us to bring something out of us. The salvation that was poured into us, God is now working to push that out of us. What on earth does that mean? Well, he's trying to work both to do his will and to work for his good pleasure. So to do what, church? And this is where we go back to the passages that came before. Paul is building a case. Philippians chapter 1, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of what, church? The gospel of Christ. Paul's whole argument in Philippians 1 and 2 is how we're supposed to treat the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is Paul's whole argument. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. So yes, Philippians is about being in one spirit, being as one people, not having a lot of arguments and dissension among us, but for what purpose? Standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for what, church? The faith of the gospel. God is working in us so that the gospel will come from us, out of us. Yes, he's working to sanctify us. And part of that sanctification process is to let the gospel be lived through us, but also to be spoken from us because it is, it is by hearing the word of God that he saves. Now listen to this in Philippians chapter one. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now hear me to be, and hear how here to be in me. Where was Paul when he wrote this? Prison. 
So the Philippians knew full well that Paul's talking about his imprisonment. You know that the conflict I'm going through for the gospel, it's the same conflict I want you to go through. What do you mean by that, Paul? It has been granted to you. Church, what is that idea of granted? It's a privilege, right? If something is granted to you, it is a privilege that you have been given. So it has been granted to you not only to believe the gift, the gift, it has been granted in you to take one of these gifts and open it up and to be saved. This privilege has been granted to you. He didn't stop there, though. There's another privilege that's been granted to you once you open this gift. What is it, church? Open the gift of suffering. It has been granted not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And he explicitly means in regards to the gospel. He explicitly means that you have been granted the privilege of opening not only the gift of faith, but also the gift of suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I tell you, church, and this is the part where I want to convict you. So if there was a big sign behind me, it would scream conviction, conviction, conviction. A lot of us take the gift of salvation and we put it on a shelf and we never reach for the gift of suffering. But both have been granted to you and I. How many of you live the gospel but never say it? That's a big one in our world. John, I live the gospel. Well, Rudy Tootie on Fruity for you, you are great. I'm sure people are flocking to your feet to hear the word of God. To live the gospel is an honorable and worthy thing that we should do. But if no one ever hears the gospel from your mouth, they will not come to the Lord because it is by hearing the gospel. It is the power of the word of God that changes lives. It is not your godly example. John, what are you saying? Are godly examples men? No, I'm saying live it, preach it. Live it, preach it. Open the box. But I don't preach it, John, because I don't want to suffer. I don't want people to think of me as some crazy person. I, I feel so bad. I don't know what to say. Tell that to the man who's writing this letter from prison. I don't want my neighbor to feel bad or think that he's living next to a crazy person. We got to get past it. You cannot keep the gospel in a box. You cannot keep the gospel in a box. Why, church? Because it is it's God who works in you to do his will. So he says, instead of being comfortable leaving the gospel in the box, you should be fearful and you should tremble if you resist the will of God because the will of God is for you to share the good news. It's not good news if you hide it under a bushel as a church. Well, it's good news for me, John. Yeah, that's where we stop. It's good news for me, but... Who cares about them? Let them to go. Let them go. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection, any compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. What's that one purpose? He's saying, be united. Be fellowshipping with one another, but be intent on one purpose. Be united in the spirit for the preaching of the gospel, for the telling of the gospel, for the sharing of the gospel. 
Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This is Philippians chapter 2, the great kenosis passage where Christ doesn't consider it robbery to give up his deity, his outward deity, is 100% God, 100% man. But he doesn't feel it robbery to give up those outward glories of God to come down and die for you. Christ literally poured himself out of heaven into the body of sinful man, though he himself was without sin. But he took on the image of you and I, of sinful man. For love, he considered us more important than grasping the things of God. And he poured himself out into you and into me. And it says here, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This is where we get jammed up, church. I'm saved, I'm bound for glory, I'm done. That's where we get jammed up, brothers and sisters. We gotta stop. We gotta stop thinking it's good enough for me, but I'm not gonna share it with them. At small group on Friday, I have a Friday night small group, and my wife brought up the uh, story of Penn and Teller, Penn Gillette. He's an atheist, he's a very strong atheist. And he tells this story that my wife shared with us that he is a hardcore, highly intelligent atheist who wants nothing to do with Christianity, but he said he respects Christians more who share the gospel with him than those who keep their mouth shut because if they truly believe the gospel saves lives and keeps people from hell and prepares them from heaven, that person I know loves me if they share that message with me. If they don't share that message with me, they could give two hoots where I go. And they probably don't believe it. If we look to the interests of others, the biggest interest that others have is to go to heaven and be with their God. That is the biggest need in our world today. And Paul says, get about doing it. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is in Christ. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself willingly, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Amen and amen. Poured himself out of heaven. And church, he provided the gift of faith to you but he also gave you an example of the gift of suffering for the gospel. Who on earth or in heaven suffered more for the gospel than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Tell me, tell me, who suffered more than Jesus Christ to bring you the gospel? Nobody, the answer is nobody. Nobody gave you an example of how we are to suffer for the promulgation of the gospel than our Lord Jesus Christ, who hung naked on a cross for you and I so that we might join him in his heavenly place based upon his work, not ours, as long as we open the gift. But he poured himself out, church, for the joy set before him because though suffering is for a short time, the joy that lies ahead is so much greater. So much greater. Paul goes on in our verses here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and following. He goes on here. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. A lot of us are so tied up with petty jealousies, petty angers, petty nastiness, petty hatred toward each other. 
Grumble, 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 grumble. And we get so distracted by those things, we forget about why we're here. As Cam said, the, the missionaries here, we forget about our vocation. We're here as tent makers, passing through this world in our vocation. What we're supposed to primarily be here to do is to tell people about the gospel. What we do for work is just to feed our families. But we're here as tent makers, like Paul made tents, but he went out and preached the gospel. That money he spent on preaching the gospel. So stop your grumbling, stop your whining, stop thinking that everybody needs to bow at your feet. You are not God. Jesus Christ emptied himself of some of his powers, though he was completely God. So do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Church, question for you, easy question, 100 points. Are you in the midst of a perverse generation and crooked generation? Yeah, you certainly are. So what does that mean? Children of God, be above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. How do we do that? By being good people, yes. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Paul's saying, if you know that you're in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation, then you need to hold your light up in the midst of that darkness. What we do when we're in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, we say, I'm going to hide my light and not get involved in anything going on out there in the crooked and perverse world. That's the opposite of what Paul tells us to do. Shine your light in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. And what is that light? Holding fast the word of life. That's the gospel. The gospel is the word of life. It is the good news of life. So that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain with you. But... Listen to this, because we have to connect this with Philippians chapter 2, the kenosis, verses 12. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me, as he writes this from prison. Share your joy with me. But Paul here says something interesting. For the gospel... Paul said, I'm pouring myself out like a drink offering. So here's what Paul says. I'm pouring myself out. I'm emptying myself of love of myself, of quarreling, of fighting, of grumbling, of complaining about the world. I'm pouring myself out for you, into you. Here's what Jesus did in Philippians 2, verses 1 and following. He said, I'm coming from heaven. I'm pouring myself out for you. I'm pouring myself out from heaven to you. Paul, I'm pouring myself into you. Paul says, I'm pouring myself into you, church of Philippi. And what is Paul's message to us? Work out your salvation, church. Pour yourselves into others. Pour yourself into the world of this crooked generation. Pour out the gospel. Let that salvation which you opened up, let that salvation pour out of you into the world. Indeed, yes, but also in word. 
This whole thing is about the gospel and pouring ourselves out for it and not putting it on a shelf and not thinking that somebody else will do the work of God because he's a sovereign God. He will save whoever he wants to save. That is so true. But was that the attitude of Paul? We got to stop thinking we're the best theologians in the world. If Paul didn't have that attitude, if he said, the Lord is using me, I'm going to pour myself out for the gospel, that means God must have a plan for me to be used in the giving of the gospel. That's the attitude we have to have. It's not somebody else's job. It is our privilege that has been granted to us. Just as the gift of salvation has all of your names on it. When you become a believer, there's another box for you to open, church. It's the gift of suffering for Jesus Christ, for the gospel. So I challenge you this morning. Are you willing to open up that gift? Are you willing to open up the gift of suffering? So I don't leave you with a blessing today, but I leave you with a great commission. Wait a minute, somebody already did that. I leave you with his great commission. Go into all the world. Go into the crooked generation. Go out there. Pour out your salvation. Let it come out of you because it's an awesome God who's working in you. Let him pour out of you and don't be ashamed and don't be afraid. And when you suffer for that outpouring, say amen and amen. He granted me that privilege. And one day I will see him face to face and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of your son, Lord. Help us to value that gift. And Lord, may none of us try to not let you out. Lord, let none of us try to resist you pouring out from us through your precious Holy Spirit, the word of God in this perverse and crooked generation. Lord, the times are dark. Our lights could burn so brightly if we opened that gift of suffering for your word. Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you for our salvation. In Jesus' precious name, church, amen. All right, let your light shine.